listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is episode 42 of Lighthearted and the second one of the year 2020. My co-host today was going to be Cindy Johnson, one of my frequent co-hosts, but Cindy's just a little bit under the weather today. So I have a very special guest co-host, Charlotte Reskowski. And Charlotte has been a, a frequent volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and the American Lighthouse Foundation and many other lighthouse-related organizations for many, many years. And by way of full disclosure, I should probably also mention that Charlotte uh, is also my wife. And we've been together for, what is it now, uh, 75, 89 years. (laughs) Hi, Charlotte. Hey, Jeremy. Long time no see. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for stepping in like a real trooper today, Charlotte. I really appreciate it. That's me. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the whole family is represented here today. We're in the kitchen studios of the famous Bluefish Boulevard recording studios today. And our son, uh, Eddie, is lying on the floor right next to us. When I say our son, Eddie, I mean the term son loosely. He's a son of the the feline variety. But he's just been rampaging all over the the house here a few minutes ago. But now he's uh, resting quietly. So hopefully he'll be quiet while we record this podcast. So again, thank you, Charlotte. Today, we are heading down the coast to a very exotic location, New Jersey. Well, yeah, some of it is kind of exotic to me. You know, I'm used to New England. Yeah, we have been to New Jersey together, but we haven't been to today's location. Our interview subject today is Nancy Patterson of the Morris River Historical Society, and we're going to be talking about the East Point Lighthouse at the mouth of the Morris River. East Point is the second oldest lighthouse in the state of New Jersey. The tower at Sandy Hook at the entrance to New York Harbor, built in 1764, and also the oldest standing lighthouse tower in the United States, is the only one that's older in the state of New Jersey. Charlotte, please help me tell our listeners a little bit more about the East Point Lighthouse. Certainly, Jeremy. East Point Lighthouse began service in September 1849. It was known as the Morris River Light in its early history. It's a type of building known as a Cape Cod-style lighthouse, because a number of them were built on Cape Cod in the early 1800s. It consists of a lantern on the roof of a two-story keeper's dwelling. The original system of nine lamps and reflectors was replaced by a Fresnel lens in 1856. A new lantern was installed in 1870. The light at East Point was one of several in the vicinity that was automated in 1911 with the use of an acetylene gas system. The keeper was removed, but resident custodians were retained on the site. The last custodian vacated the site in 1945. The light was darkened due to World War II, and it was subsequently discontinued. Then in the 1950s, the property was transferred to the state of New Jersey. The building was boarded up and fell into disrepair. The Morris River Historical Society was working to save the lighthouse when an accidental fire started by trespassers nearly destroyed the building in July 1971. The Historical Society was able to raise funds to have the lantern and roof rebuilt, and the Coast Guard relighted the lighthouse as a navigational aid. 
Federal and state grants led to more restoration work in the 1990s, and the lighthouse was opened to the public. Then in 2016, an $852,000 project was funded by the Federal Highway Administration and the New Jersey Historic Trust. Five rooms in the restored lighthouse are now furnished with period antiques. In 2017, two pump stations were installed in the building's basement to push out encroaching floodwaters. A dune system that was protecting the lighthouse was breached by a storm in March 2019, putting the site in grave danger. In May 2019, the nonprofit Preservation New Jersey chose the East Point Lighthouse as one of the 10 most endangered historic sites in the state. The reason, they said, was that, quote, the mouth of the Morris River and the adjacent bay shore is rapidly eroding and tidal waters are now threatening the lighthouse, unquote. The township and the county piled sand in front of the lighthouse as an emergency measure. In November, the Department of Environmental Management announced that a system of giant sand-filled synthetic fabric tubes called a geotube would be installed to keep the tides at bay until a long-term solution can be found. Nancy Patterson was born in the suburbs of Philadelphia and was involved in sailboat racing from her early childhood, and she still enjoys sailing as well as teaching sailing to this day. Nancy studied art at Temple University. She's written and illustrated two children's books, May the Magnificent Lighthouse and Hereford the Handsome Lighthouse. Nancy Patterson operates a small art gallery next to her home called Bayberry Cottage Gallery. She's also president of the Morris River Historical Society, and she manages the East Point Lighthouse. I had the opportunity to speak with Nancy Patterson on the phone in December. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am on the phone with Nancy Patterson, president of the Morris River Historical Society. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nancy. I really appreciate it. So, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks again. So why don't we start today by talking a little bit about basically the importance of the East Point Lighthouse. So why does the East Point Lighthouse need to be saved and preserved? Well, the East Point Lighthouse is a fabulous example of our maritime history of this region. At one time, it guided hundreds of oyster schooners and schooners that also were used for shipping. And it's the second oldest lighthouse in the state of New Jersey that's still standing. So it has a lot of historical significance, as well as having the the whole East Point in that region also has uh, an enormous amount of wildlife that's just amazing to see from eagle and osprey and all the shorebirds and the horseshoe crabs and just some um, incredible um, habitat that needs to be protected. So when you protect the lighthouse, you're also protecting habitat because it sits in a very um, natural setting. It's also extremely important for the tourism in the area, which is greatly needed for this region. Just like many of the lighthouses, it brings in uh, lots of tourism and and the, and wonderful people that come to see the lighthouse and learn about history, and so it's important for in three aspects: the historical significance, the wildlife, and also tourism for the area. Yeah, those are all great reasons. So, could you tell us a little bit about the the latest on the efforts to protect the lighthouse? What's been happening lately with the the installation of these uh, so-called geotubes? Is that the correct term? Yes. The geotube is actually the first project that the state has actually done. It's a state-owned property uh, owned by the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. 
And just now, as we speak, they're they've hired a company to install a geotube, which is actually a long, large, very durable sandbag. Um, and they're they're putting it basically on just the shoreline where it's eroded back to. They haven't gained any property. We're just going to hold the line, or at least that's the hope. Um, they're working on it now. Uh, they're about halfway through. They hope to be finished by the first of the year. Uh, basically, they put in this long tube, and it has a little skirt underneath it, a little apron to keep it from undermining, and then they backfill it all with sand. So it'll look like a natural sand dune, at least for a little while till it washes out. <laughs> Totally a temporary protection, and sadly, the worst part about it, not only is it temporary, but they also don't have enough money to fund the entire project. So it's only going to be a partial Band-Aid, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit disappointing after waiting and waiting for something to finally be done, for it only not only to be a Band-Aid, but to be not even completed. So... We're not sure what's going to happen, actually. So we'll get more into a discussion of possible long-term solutions. But I'm wondering, in the last, uh, in recent years, as this as this has become more and more of a, a, a challenge and an issue, have local people rallied in support of the lighthouse? How how is uh, how has that gone for you? Yes, the the local community is incredibly supportive. Not just the historical society members, but you know the the general population of the area is very very supportive, including the local township, Marsh River Township, and also Cumberland County. We we basically are everyone is doing everything that they've been permitted to do. For the past year and a half, actually, the community uh, stepped up and and put in the uh, they're they're called super sack sandbags. They're basically three thousand pound sandbags, and built a wall to hold the hold back the uh, the water till the state you know did did do any kind of a project so the community stepped up and they uh there's two local businesses donated the sandbags and continued to donate more and more as the bags would fail they would donate more and the township and the county would work together to build a kind of a makeshift seawall that actually has saved the lighthouse for the past year and a half mm-hmm. so it's great community support well, that's great. So what is the latest as far as discussion of a, a possible long-term solution? What what kind of options are there at this point? Well, the only talk that I've heard, and it's kind of through the grapevine, is a, what they refer to as a gabion, which is basically, again, kind of the most minimal that they can do, which is disappointing. But it's uh, that's basically a wall that's made up of small rock, that are put in like a wire frame. So it's wire-framed wall with small rocks in it, you know, that fill it to hold it back. Um, And those of us in the area just think that that's disappointing when we see the measures that are taken at the other lighthouses and other other historic places along the ocean coast for the Bayshore once again to be given the minimum. But that's that's the only thing that I've heard when we really believe what's needed is a seawall or bulkhead or, you know, large rocks and the regular protection that you would see in, in that kind of a place, not not just the minimal again. And and even that, the, the Gabion system isn't supposed to happen for a long time. We're not on the Army Corps' uh, schedule, and so we'll be waiting and waiting, and, and then, you know, it still will only be the minimum protection uh, for the for the lighthouse. So it's disappointing. I know this might be a kind of a, a controversial question. I think one of the local newspapers had an editorial along these lines. But is moving the lighthouse uh, an option 
moving it possibly maybe back not that great a distance or moving it uh, a longer distance or just moving it somewhere? Is that is that an option at all? Well, the question for it to come up before anything has been done, really, to protect the lighthouse is a bit unusual. Uh, right. Usually when you risk moving a historic structure, you know, because any, I'm, I'm sure it could be moved, but there's always a danger of, the, you know, things cracking or, you know, why, why risk moving it and also go through all the expense when they haven't even tried to protect it from erosion? You know, normally that's a last resort. It's not the first thing that they consider. So then the other thing is that as soon as you look at East Point Lighthouse and the, and the actual property out there on the point, you quickly realize that East Point already sits on the highest part. That it's on the highest ground. When it was built, it was built there on purpose. It's, it's completely surrounded by marsh and wetlands all around it. So where would you move it? By the time you found higher ground, you'd be, it wouldn't be a lighthouse anymore. It would be way back. So, you know, then you, you, then what? Then we don't have the navigational aid that's still used in the area and, of course, would lose its, you know, wouldn't be the same if it wasn't actually a lighthouse anymore. And there's also the idea that I had mentioned before about the habitat and the wildlife that's out there. Part of what makes East Point so special is where it sits. If we give up on the point right there and give up on all that habitat, we also, you know, give up on the opportunity for people to learn about the, the shore life and the, you know, the wonderful nature that's out there. So it's it, to move it is not really thinking the problem through. And also there's the, the bigger thing is that if you give up on the point, which happens to be the mouth of the Morris River, you're also long-term, you're giving up on all the homes and businesses and all those historic towns that are upriver. Because if the mouth is, continue, is left to continue to fail, so will the banks, which we're already seeing. We're already starting to experience flooding upriver because the mouth of the river has widened so much. And, uh, you know, it's just been left to erode decade after decade and getting wider and wider. So there's all this force of water coming upriver, which is, again, destroyed the banks of the river and eroded them as well. So it's you let the one fail, and it's just going to continue to fail upriver as well. So there's more to it than just, you know, protecting the lighthouse. You're protecting all the historic towns and homes and businesses upriver as well. In a way, it, it kind of feels like uh, lighthouses like East Point are sort of like maybe canaries in a coal mine with climate change and rising sea levels. You can tell me whether or not that uh, applies in this case, but you know, it seems to me we'll, we'll probably have a lot more lighthouses threatened by uh, these kinds of things, uh, rising tides and erosion in the coming years. Maybe you can say a little bit more about how that applies or doesn't apply in this case, but also I'm wondering if you have any advice for other lighthouse groups dealing with uh, these kinds of issues. Yes, I, I think the biggest issue that, that we, or the biggest thing that we can do to protect historic structures like lighthouses or anything that's along the coast especially is to look at each, each situation and draw attention to that. For East Point, it's definitely erosion is the biggest issue. It's been left to erode for decades. Nothing has ever been done to protect it. So, of course, it's continued to erode through the decades, and now it's at the point of crisis. And I think the thing that we need to do as caretakers of these places is to sound a warning, whatever it may be. If, if it's facing 
the tide's getting higher or, or if the land is getting smaller or whatever the case may be, the more we can get the word out to the public and to the people that can make the decisions to spend the money on the, on the protection or whatever it is it's needed, the better. So we need to be the voice for these, these in, incredibly important structures. And that's, that's where we need to be. What what do you see as the best case uh, scenario right at this this moment or in the next you know in the, basically in the immediate future? What's the best case scenario for East Point Lighthouse? Well, for someone that has the power and the and the know how to um, to get the permission to put in and, and the funding needed to put in a a proper seawall across the southern side of the lighthouse, which is directly in front of the lighthouse. And it uh, it sits on the mouth of the Mars River, so it basically every every tide change it gets worn off and worn off. So we need something hard, hard structure across the front, either a proper seawall with rocks, you know, as a buffer before it, or a proper bulkhead, something hard on the southern side. And then a jetty would actually be wonderful as well. That would that would build up the beach. So and and actually to back up a little bit, it needs to be rebuilt. It, there needs to be a beach restoration, just like you see along the rest of the coast. They've never done any beach restoration at East Point, so it a lot of that property has been lost, and that needs to be regained and then secured. So it would it would be a win-win. You'd have a hard structure across the front. It could be used for fishing and strolling and you know viewing the sunsets, as well as protecting the point from erosion. And we know it will work because right next to uh, East Point in front of the lighthouse is a parking lot that it's basically the end of East Point Road. If you just, you know, head past the lighthouse a little bit, the property does, the point still does jet out there. And it has, it's had a hard structure through the decades, through the history. You can see the remains of an extremely old, old uh, bulkhead and then in more you know, in my lifetime, it's had a hard structure of nothing fancy. It was just what the township could afford, which was some concrete and some blacktop. And it's been there through history. You can see that line has not moved in the historic maps and aerial shots from, you know, way back. It hasn't moved at all. Yet the point owned by the state that hasn't had any protection used to jet way out, and now it scoops it in. So it's it's really obvious what needs to be done and they just we just need to find somebody that will you know put it through and and get the work done. Let's change the subject a little bit and uh let's talk about the the lighthouse but get away from the uh the erosion uh subject of sure. erosion a little bit. When is the lighthouse open? I know it's open more in the warmer months, but there's still a, a limited schedule in the winter, is that is that correct? Yes, we uh, part of the restoration that happened between 2016 and 2017 was to add climate control, uh, which means we have heat in the winter. So we were able to um, have the lighthouse open, and uh, basically we have it open because it's still completely volunteer-run. We have it open every first and third weekends of the month, both on Saturday and Sunday. So it, and then on top of that, we have some special events throughout the year as well. And then right. in the summer months, we were open every weekend. Mm-hmm. Still trying to hope to add some day, um, weekday hours as well. But most of the crew have, have day jobs, so they get in the way. We're actually speaking right now on uh, December 6th. Uh, people are hearing this a little bit later, but 
tomorrow, uh, December 7th, the day after we're speaking, I believe you have Santa Claus coming to the lighthouse, but we're, we don't want, we sh probably shouldn't, uh, I don't want to make people feel bad. They're, they're going to be hearing this later, so they're not going to be able to, uh, to go to the lighthouse to see Santa Claus after they, <laughs> you know, after the fact, right. <laughs> but that's one of the, one of the many special events you have, uh, at the lighthouse. What other kinds of special events do you have? We try to have special events through the year that are uh, specifically geared for children or young young families because we know they're the future. We know they're the ones that will take care of the lighthouse and manage the lighthouse when we, we no longer can do it. So we really try to do things that encourage um, young families or or people to bring their grandchildren. So we through the year we have things like Santa Claus visits the lighthouse, and we have the Easter Bunny. And um, when we had property, uh, when we had a beach, we did an Easter egg hunt too, which was fun. But we haven't been able to do that. But we do Bay Day, where the kids learn about the bay and and the the wildlife, and and do some hands-on learning. Plus, throughout the year we have other activities. We have night climbs that are geared for the adults, and kind of a fun date night, little history and and climb a lighthouse at night and experience it that way. And we have um, the Eagle Festival we take part in. It's a Cumberland County event, a county-wide event, which is kind of neat. It's a nice way to see the the birds from up in the lantern room. Anyway, there's a, there's events through the year. And, of course, the Lighthouse Challenge of New Jersey, which is our biggest event of the year, which is a statewide lighthouse event. Well, it all sounds great. You know, combining uh, education and fun, that's what, what it's all about, so... Yeah, uh, it sounds sounds good to me. The the whole museum actually is geared to be more hands on. Um, it's set up to look as if a keeper and family lived there. In about 1910, we sort of picked that as you know anything between 1849 when it was built and 1945 uh, when the last keeper moved out. But we tr we have it so that the kids can come in and actually or anyone. They can come in, take pictures, or um, touch things. You know, it's not, it's like visiting a home. It's not a museum full of glass cases where you're not allowed to touch anything or roped off. Or So it's very much um, kind of kid-friendly and, and adult-friendly for those of us who like to experience things. And how can people find out more about the lighthouse and the schedule of when it's open and that type of thing? The best way is on Facebook. I try to keep the, the Facebook page very active. It, it, each day there'll be, you know, a couple of different updates or pictures shared. Or It's the quickest way, really, to communicate with people. We, we often, because of flooding issues, we often have times when we have to, you know, get the message out quickly, and Facebook seems to work very well. Right. I actually have it open right in front of me right now. I see uh, facebook.com slash Light. And you have the Christmas event at the top there right now, so that does look like a good source of information. Before that's, we, that's the sorry. best one because yep. there's a mm -hmm. lot of other pages, uh, web pages that carry East Point, but it's not us. So sometimes the information is out of date and, right. or incorrect, and I and there's so many that carry it, it's hard for me to get the corrections made. So you can count on the Facebook page to be up to date. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, let me just ask you, how did you personally get involved with the Historical Society and the Lighthouse? Well, actually, I'm an artist and a children's book author. And I've always loved anything nautical. I grew up racing small sailboats on the back bays of New Jersey out of Yacht Club City. And I just was raised on the water and just love history. And of course, you know, maritime history is the icing on the cake. I love it all. 
I found myself painting lighthouses and wooden boats and the things I loved more and more. So, and shortly after doing that, I, I ended up starting to climb lighthouses with my granddaughter, who was uh, just about three when we started to climb lighthouses with her. And that led to writing several children's books about the area, New Jersey lighthouses. So I just kind of gradually found myself in the lighthouse community and at the events and just enjoying the New Jersey lighthouses with my grandchildren. Um, grandson was born shortly thereafter. So um, we just got more and more involved. And of course, when we looked at East Point Lighthouse continuing to deteriorate um, through those years, we just felt we needed to jump in and try to do something to help save it. So we, we did with uh, our grandchildren at our side. We jumped in and started to uh, volunteer at East Point and found ourselves basically, you know, knee-deep in <laughs> trying, to, hmm. trying to help out. So one more question for bonus points. What's your personal favorite thing about East Point Lighthouse? Oh, goodness. There's so many things. I really like the Cape Cod style, which is kind of fun. The fact that it is a house with a light on top is neat. But I guess my all-time favorite is the setting. It's just so beautiful sitting there and surrounded by all that wildlife and that, you know, beautiful seascape. Is, it's just, as an artist especially, you know, you just can't beat it. It's just beautiful. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty hard to, hard to top that. So, Nancy Patterson, I, I thank you so much for spending some time with me today. And I, I wish you all, all the best and, you know, wish you success in the, the, the fight with the forces of, of nature and everything else that's uh, being, being waged. But I, I know that, you know, you will be successful because you're so determined, you and everybody else, uh, fighting the, the good fight there. So... And, you know, I've never been to East Point Lighthouse, and I, I, I plan to be there. I hope to make a trip uh, down the New Jersey coast uh, in the coming year. So, Yeah, you need to fix that problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's an easy one to fix. So, there you uh, go. Yeah. So, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Earlier, when we told you about the history of East Point Lighthouse, we mentioned that it was automated with the use of acetylene gas in 1911. Before we wrap up this edition of Lighthearted, we'd like to tell you about an important figure in lighthouse history who had a lot to do with the development of the acetylene gas systems that enabled lighthouses to be automated, the Swedish engineer Gustav Dahlen. Dahlen was born in 1869 in Stenstorp, a small village in Sweden. As a child, he invented a machine that both made coffee and switched on the light. As a young man, he managed his family's dairy farm. In 1892, the self-taught Dahlen created a machine that tested the quality of milk, and his invention was so impressive that it won him a college education. After earning a master's degree and a doctorate, he became chief engineer at the Gas Accumulator Company, a manufacturer and distributor of acetylene gas. He eventually built his own production plant. In the early 1900s, lighted buoys and some of Sweden's lighthouses were powered by petroleum gas, which didn't produce a very bright light. Dahlen turned his attention to the development of acetylene burners for lighthouses and buoys, as well as an improved flashing device. 
but Dahlin's most lasting contribution to lighthouse technology was the 1907 invention of the sun valve. Here's how it worked. Dahlin's sun valve was controlled by four metal rods enclosed in a glass tube. The central rod was blackened and was surrounded by three light-reflecting polished rods. As sunlight fell onto all of the rods, the absorbed heat of the sun allowed the unequally expanding dark rod to cut off the supply of acetylene gas to the light in the lighthouse. After sunset, the central rod cooled down, becoming the same length as the polished rods and opening the gas supply. The gas was ignited by a small, always burning pilot light. The sun valve saved 94% of the gas compared with having the beacon lighted all the time. The first lighthouse to be automated using Dahlin's sun valve was at Furuholm in Sweden. In 1912, when the Panama Canal opened, 35 lighthouses and buoys in the canal used Dahlin's sun valves. In the following years, many lighthouses around the world, including in the United States, were automated using the system. The Chumbe Lighthouse off Zanzibar was still using a Dahlin sun valve until it was replaced with modern solar power in 2013. In 1912, while he was testing safety devices on acetylene cylinders, an explosion injured Dahlin severely. He recovered from his injuries, but he permanently lost his eyesight. That same year, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Physics. He was still bedridden, and his brother accepted the award on his behalf, saying, quote, The annual benefit to navigation can be expressed in terms of saving of thousands of human lives, end quote. Dahlin used his Nobel Prize money to give his employees an extra week's pay and to establish a scholarship fund at his alma mater, the Chalmers Institute. The Dahlin Museum opened in 2011 in Gustav Dahlin's hometown of Stenstorp, Sweden. It's an interactive experience museum that tells the story of Dahlin's life and the amazing stories of his inventions. In addition to the sun valve, the exhibits highlight his other work, including the AGA car and the AGA cooker, film projectors, radio and TV apparatus, incubators, measuring instruments, and the heart-lung machine. Many thanks to our guest, Nancy Patterson of the Morris River Historical Society and East Point Lighthouse in New Jersey. To learn more, check out the Facebook page for the East Point Lighthouse. We've recently put out a call for Lighthouse volunteers and staff to contact us. We'd like to know what you love about your lighthouse. Volunteers and staff people are the backbone of lighthouse preservation and education, and we'd like to include your comments in this podcast. You can email me with your comments about why you volunteer or work at a lighthouse and what you love about your lighthouse at jeremy at uslhs.org. We've started getting some feedback, and today we're going to play a call from Judy Ann Point, who volunteers at the Palmham Rocks Lighthouse in East Providence, Rhode Island. The Friends of Palmham Rocks Lighthouse are a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation, and they have beautifully restored their 1871 lighthouse. Judy Ann and her husband, Gary, are both retired teachers. Let's listen to what Judy Ann had to say about volunteering. My husband and I both volunteer at the Palmham Rocks Lighthouse in East Providence, Rhode Island. 
Why do we do it? We knew that when we both retired, we wanted to work with something local and historical. New England, of course, is full of historic buildings, and everyone holds a special story. But why a lighthouse? Very few structures symbolize the romance, the comfort, the safety, the spirit, and the steadfastness that the lighthouse possesses. Being New Englanders, the sea has never been far from our doorstep. A lighthouse is the link and the guide between the sea and the safety of the land, and we wish to preserve the legacy of the keepers who dedicated their lives to the safe passage of mariners for generations. We would like to tell the story of the lighthouses before automation, when they were run by faithful keepers and their families. Every lighthouse is unique, and every one has an interesting story to tell. Researching lighthouse history and finding related artifacts is like being on a perpetual treasure hunt, and we love it. And just as important, we have met amazing people who all feel the same way. Gary and Judy Ann Point. Thank you so much to Judy Ann and Gary Point. You can learn more about the Friends of Palmham Rocks Lighthouse at palmhamrockslighthouse.org. Thanks to all the members, volunteers, and staff of the United States Lighthouse Society in the U.S. and around the world. Check out uslhs.org for information on memberships, tours, the passport program, and all the other things offered by the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by making a donation and or becoming a member of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Well, thank you, Charlotte. So what do you think? you think you'll ever want to do this again? Keep a good light there, Jeremy. <laughs> well, Cindy, I think you still have a job waiting for you when you get, get better. So, But thank you so much, Charlotte. I really appreciate you filling in today. It's tremendously appreciated. And that does it for another episode of Lighthearted. And everybody, as always, thanks for listening. And keep a good light. Keep a good, keep a good light. <laughs> keep a good light. <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine All in my house I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine